Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. God, thank you so much that you have gathered us here today on this beautiful and wonderful day that we may lift up our voices to sing and to praise and worship you. But also, Father, that as we come together as a community, as a new community that is forming here in this city, that you may continue to spark us with imagination, that you may spark us with with hopes and desires and dreams for what it is that we can be as a community, not only in this neighborhood, but around this city as we seek to make a difference in the world around us because of your son and because of the things that he has done in us and through us and for us, may we be that hope. May we be that peace. May we be that joy as we step into the world around us. Father, help us to be those people, the people of hope, a resurrection people, an Easter people. Father, it's in your son's name that we pray all of these things. Amen. We are the insurgents. We are the insurgents. We, as Christians, are the true followers of Jesus. The true followers of Jesus are the insurgents. We are the people that get to step into this world. They get to live into this world as colonies of heaven in a land of death as Eugene Peterson once wrote, that we as Christians are colonies of heaven in a land of death. We are colonies of life. We are colonies of hope. We are colonies of love, of peace, of possibility. We are colonies of change and of resistance here in this world, here in this space. This series that we started last week in the wake of Easter as we step into this season called Easter Tide, we started a new series called Insurgents where we're looking through the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is really a template for us as an Easter people of what it means to step into this world of of how to be this insurgents, how to be this people that are colonies of hope, that are colonies of life, that are colonies of peace, that are colonies of change, colonies of resistance in a land of death. This series is about how we get to do that, about how we step into that. And so we're looking at this gospel of Mark, which is, as we talked about a little bit last week, I'll, I'll reset the stage for us, is a fascinating, fascinating letter that was written from Rome to Roman Christians. During the height of the Roman Empire, it was a moment where where Mark was writing this letter from from the seat of power in the empire to Christians in the empire saying, this is our hope. This is what it is that it means for us to live under the rule and reign of this guy called Nero. Now, Nero is this guy. We don't have pictures of him because, you know, he ruled from A.D. 54 to 68 before pictures were pictures, right? So the only pictures we have are like these marble busts of their heads. They, they, they would sculpt 
their heads to, so that we could remember and look at what they were as a person. We can kind of get this image of these emperors, of these rulers, of these authorities that ruled over the modern world. And Nero was a pretty brutal guy. He put Christians under tons and tons of immense persecution, where he would literally throw them to the lions. He would literally throw them in the middle of the Colosseum, which is this picture behind his head. He would gather around large quantities of people to root on as he would throw a Christian in there to battle the beasts of the day and to see who would win. Of course, oftentimes it was the animal that won. In fact, most of the times it was the animal that won. And if you saw the Christian or the person that was in the arena, in the middle of the ring, starting to win, he would unleash another animal and then another animal because Nero wanted the best entertainment possible at the stake of these people. And so Mark is writing to a Christian people that were under immense suffering under immense fear, under an immense amount of oppression, as they lived in this world, he was writing to them to say, there's a hope here. There's a possibility here. There is something better than that, that we get to step into, that we get to live into. And so Mark starts his gospel in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, the beginning. This is the start. And what's so beautiful about this is that Mark is writing this letter 20 years plus after the resurrection of Jesus. There's a people that are seeing the end of the movement beginning to take place as this persecution of this murder, of these killings are running rampant through their movement, and they feel like all hope is lost. And Mark says, no, 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 no. This is the beginning. This is where it all starts. And let me tell you about the beginning of this revolution. Let me tell you about the beginning of this insurgence that we are a part of, that we have a greater hope that sits in front of us that we get to step into. Now, what's really fascinating about this is at this point in time in the Roman Empire, we're, we're about 20 years post-resurrection, 20 years post-Pentecost or the beginning of the church. Rodney Stark is a really fascinating sociologist, anthropologist, professor, brilliant guy who wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity where he looked at this early movement, wondering what it looked like for this early Christian movement to take root in the empire of Rome. And he wondered, like, how many Christians were there at this point in time? In the entire empire, how many Christians are there in this, like, 54, 56, 58, 60 AD type of thing? And he crunched some numbers using all sorts of different people, all sorts of different sources to kind of figure it out. And he came up with the number that there was probably at this point in time only about 1,400 to 2,000 Christians in the entirety of the empire. Really small number. And the empire itself was about 60 million people. So we're talking less than 1% 
We're talking less than, it's like two hundredths of a percent of the entire empire were Christians at this point. And yet they were receiving this type of persecution, this type of suffering, this type of pain. But they were growing in the midst of it. They had grown at about, he estimates at about 40% every decade. The movement of Jesus was growing and growing 40% every decade. And here's Mark saying, we have hope. In the midst of this suffering, in the midst of this murder that is trying to snuff us out as a people, we have hope. I don't know about you, but if I'm in that situation, if I'm in that place, I'm going to feel pretty hopeless. I'm going to feel as if all hope is lost and the injustice of the day, the injustice of that oppression, the injustice of that persecution that is pushing down, that is attempting to eradicate us as a people, I'm going to feel really, really hopeless. But Mark is saying, no, 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 no. Remember, this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Uh, Brian Stevenson, in his book, Just Mercy, he said, hopelessness is the enemy of justice. Injustice prevails where hopelessness exists. And I feel like these early Christian people that are undergoing such tremendous amounts of pain and injustice, of imprisonment, of suffering, of torture, and of murder, of all of these things are getting to this point of hopelessness. And they're allowing this injustice to prevail in their world and in their life. They don't know how to stand up against it or live differently in spite of it so that it can be changed, so that it can be eradicated. And so here is Mark saying, let me tell you about our hope. Let me tell you about our hope, the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In Mark chapter 1, verse 40, he starts off on this story. He says, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. This is such a fascinating passage to me. It's such a fascinating beginning to a story where this man is afflicted with leprosy. And in the midst of this, we have this one word, indignant, pop up. I, I don't know if, about you, but indignant is just a different way of saying angry, right? It's like a different level of anger. Jesus was indignant. And I read that and I'm like, why was he angry? Dude comes up and begs and says, hey, you can make me better. And Jesus was angry. I'm like, what? That doesn't fit. That doesn't fit my understanding of Jesus, that all of a sudden this man who is afflicted with this horrible, horrible disease, Jesus looks at him and says, or is angry, that Jesus is just angry. 
What's fascinating is that this story occurs two other times in the Gospels. This exact same story occurs in Matthew chapter 8 and Luke chapter 5. And in neither one of those stories is Jesus angry. There's no mention of Jesus' emotional state whatsoever in those stories. Jesus, the, the man comes and begs. The word begs is there. He begs to be healed, and Jesus reaches out his hand, touches him, and cleanses him. That's the whole story in Matthew 8 and Luke chapter 5. But here, Jesus is indignant. And I wondered, why is Jesus mad? Is Jesus mad at this man? And if he is, why didn't they record it in the other Gospels? Why is it there? In fact, in some translations of this exact same passage in Mark chapter 1, they changed the word to say Jesus had compassion on the man. But that's not the word. The word that is there is anger, indignant, anger. Why is that there? This word's a fascinating word, this word indignant, and this word that, that takes place within the scope of all of Scripture and how it gets utilized throughout. This man was a man covered in leprosy, which is a really strange and weird disease that is actually still around today. It's not this ancient thing that only happened once upon a time. It's still present in our world today. It's a, a sort of neurological condition to where you can't begin to feel anymore, like parts of your body, and you end up wounding yourself without feeling it. You, you wound yourself and all of a sudden you're walking around without an arm because it got chopped off somehow and you didn't feel it. Or fingers are gnawed off by rats in the middle of the night and you don't feel it. You don't wake up because you can't feel anything. Your skin becomes this kind of white flaky mess of, 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 a, of a story and you just look miserable, horrible, and in pain. It was a disease that caused you to be ritually unclean to where you were no longer allowed to make your way into the temple courts. You couldn't interact with your family. You couldn't interact with anybody. And in fact, you were then shipped off outside of the city into what they called leper communes. You no longer were in relationship with the people that you were once in relationship with. You were sent away. You were cast aside. You were pushed out and no longer allowed to interact with the people whom you loved and cared for. There was no cure for this thing, this leprosy. The systems and the structures of the day pushed these people as outcasts into the outer parts of the community. They created communes for them and said, this is where you get to be and no one else can hang out with you anymore. Of course, they would make their way into the city because it's the only way they could buy and sell things, but they weren't allowed to touch anybody. They weren't allowed to interact with people in a positive way. They were the scum, the outcast, the pushed aside, the dirty, the unclean. And they couldn't go into the temple courts to have their sins forgiven. They couldn't be a part of the sacrifices of the day, and therefore they were relegated to a life of hell. Jesus was indignant. Jesus was angry. Every other place this word shows up in the New Testament, 
Every other place that the word indignant shows up in the New Testament is against the systems and the structures of society. That God was angry at the systems and the structures that had been created to push people away. That Jesus was angry at the systems and structures that pushed people away. And here we have in this passage, Jesus was indignant. He was indignant at what had happened to this man. He was angry. He was moved to rage at what had happened to this man who had been cast aside, who had been tossed aside as nothing but worthless. He reached out his hand and touched him. The thing that you're not supposed to do with someone that's ritually unclean, because when you do that, that makes you unclean. You then are not allowed to go into the temple courts and offer sacrifices. You then are not allowed to participate in the life of a community, of your community, with your family, with your friends, with the people whom you live by. You're not allowed then to participate in those things. And Jesus steps into that world and he touches the man. He touches him and he cleanses him. And this word cleanse is really, really interesting in this scope of this passage because it actually means that he makes the man ritually clean. That not only does he heal him, not only does he take away the leprosy because the next, the next verse is immediately, immediately the leprosy left him. Immediately it was gone. But then he cleansed him. He made him ritually clean allowing for him to step back into the structures and societies in a different way, in a new way that changes that man's life forever. He heals. He heals. And Jesus tells the man, you are now ritually clean. Go to the priest. Go present yourself to the priest and show him that you are clean. Show him what has happened to you. Offer sacrifices. Participate once again in the life of the community. Participate once again in the systems and the structures of our world in a different way. Because you have been cleansed. You have been made new. The next story is the healing of a paralytic where these four men probably find this guy just sitting on the ground who's paralyzed. We, we don't know if he's a quadriplegic or if he's a paraplegic. We just know he's paralyzed in some way, shape, or form. And usually that means you can't walk. It's probably just a lower extremity sort of thing. And the man can't walk. He can't get anywhere. But as a result, he's considered unclean. His family probably committed some sort of sin that made it so that he was like this. That's typically how those things work, that the family did something and now you are this unclean individual. You're this unclean person. And the paralyzing nature of your body, that's, that's on you. That's on your family. And so these four guys are probably walking by and they see him on his mat. And I got to believe that one of the guys has a really good idea. They're like, hey, we were on our way to go see this Jesus and listen to him talk. You want to see a miracle today? I've heard he's done some really cool stuff. You want to see it? Maybe we just bring this guy and we'll see something really cool happen. Like, 
Yeah, sure, right? Let's, let's give it a shot. And so they each get on a corner of the mat and they pick up this man and like, hey, whether you like it or not, we're going to take you to Jesus, right? Like, you have no choice in the matter. We're just going to take you, right? So it picks them up and they start carrying him to this house. But they notice that the house in which Jesus is in is flooded with people. It is so full that it's even overflow seating, that they are outside of this house listening through the door, that they're listening through the window. There's so many people that they're like repeating what Jesus has said. If you remember the Occupy marches and some of the Occupy protests that happened, they had this like uh, this, this bullhorn chain that would take place. You, you, you remember this? Like they would talk, like whatever, whoever was up front talking, the people in the back couldn't hear. And so then they would just turn around and they would repeat it, kind of like a large game of telephone. And they would listen and they would turn around and repeat it all the way back so that everyone in the audience could hear what was taking place. It's kind of what I imagine happening in this space is they're outside of this house and people are just repeating like, oh, he said this. Oh, great, 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 great. They're, they're listening in this way. These guys show up with this paralytic and they're like, we can't get in. Well, that sucks. We just carried this guy a quarter of a mile. He's not the lightest guy in the world. Like, what are we going to do? One guy has the idea. Hey, I think we should climb up on the roof. We should dig a hole, and we should lower him down. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm like, bro, you're crazy. <laughs> this is not, like, is that feasible, right? Like, oh, we got this. We got this. So, like, they create this chain. They climb up on top of the house, and they're, like, picking each other up. They're pulling him up on top of the roof, right? They've got his mat up there, and they're like, all right, we got this. We got this. Now we've got to dig. I forgot a stick. Why don't you go down? <laughs> go get me a stick and bring it back up, right? So they get down, they bring up a stick, they're, they're like chipping away at this roof. They're chipping away and pounding away to try and get inside the house. Now, the people on the inside, all of a sudden there's like dirt falling on them. They're like, what is that? Like, what is going on? Like, and there's dirt falling down all around them, and all of a sudden there's a light. That, like, it's all of a sudden they've got this new like skylight in the house. Right? And they're like, oh, that's not, that's not good. That's not right. They see fingers poking in as they try and pick away more of the dirt, as they kind of create a bigger and bigger hole. And all of a sudden, they're not listening to Jesus anymore. They're looking up. Like, you can imagine this entire crowd is looking up. And everybody that's outside is looking up and like, what are they doing? Right? They're watching this entire thing unfold before them. I got to imagine Jesus stops talking and he looks up and he's like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> All right, let's see what happens. They lower him down. And Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees, the rulers of the land, the religious leaders of the day are like, you can't do that. That is against Everything that we believe, everything that we do, you can't challenge our system this way. You can't challenge our structure this way. And Jesus says, oh, watch me. Watch me. Because is it easier for me to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? He says, get up, take your mat. The dude just gets up. 
gets up, rolls up his mat. is like, peace, thanks, Jesus. I got this, right? And he just walks out. The crowd parts, and everybody's like, what just happened here? Jesus looks at the system. Jesus looks at the structure, and he challenges it. And he says, no, 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 no. There is no one in this world, there is not a single person that cannot be a part of this kingdom. There's not a single person that is void of the possibility of forgiveness, that is void of the possibility of wholeness, that is void of the possibility of completion as a person. You get to be a part of this. The very next story is Jesus then eats with sinners. He calls Matthew a tax collector, a traitor, a traitor to the nation of Israel. He calls Matthew, or Levi in, in the book of Mark, calls him Levi, calls this man and says, come, come be a part of this thing. And Matthew, who's known to be like this traitor, this outcast, this person who is no longer welcome as a Jew, all of a sudden, no, 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 come be a part of this insurrection. Come be a part of this insurgence. Come join this thing. And then he has dinner with him and all of his sinner friends. And all, all, all of the religious leaders are like, Jesus, you can't do that. This is not good. This is not the way things are supposed to be. And Jesus says, aha, but it is. This is how the kingdom of God works. He heals and forgives the paralytic. He eats with the sinners. He, he casts aside death. He casts aside death. And he says, there is something different in this world today. And what do we say to the gods of death? And all the people said, not today. Wait, 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 wait. That's not good enough. And what do we say to the gods of death? And all the people said, not today. This is Jesus. This is Jesus staring at the gods of death. This is Jesus staring at the systems and structures that look to push people aside and say, you are not worthy to be a part of this thing. That you are not worthy to be in this kingdom. And Jesus looks at them and says, not today. And not ever. Not today and not ever. Because you matter. You are a part of this kingdom. You belong here more than anything and everyone possible. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Jesus went in throughout all of the land proclaiming the good news of God that you can be a part of this and that everyone is a part of this, that there is no one that cannot be a part of the kingdom of God. This insurgence, this revolution is for you. It's for me. It's for everyone. Yesterday morning, Rachel Held Evans is a, a pretty prominent Christian author. Uh, she passed away. Uh, she's 37 years old. And she was kind of one of the architects of this, like of this new understanding of the kingdom of God as being for all. 
a, a re, not a reinterpretation, but a renewal of this life. And she said, this is what God's kingdom is like. A bunch of outcasts and oddballs gathered at a table, not because they are rich or worthy or good, but because they are hungry, because they said yes. And there's always room for more. This is the kingdom of God. This is the insurgents. This is what Jesus calls forth for us and to us. That we would fling wide the doors of not only the buildings in which we inhabit, the doors of our home, but the doors of our hearts. That we may show a love and a favor, a grace and a mercy to all people around us, ushering them into this new kingdom of God that meets around a table. This is our hope. Every week as a church, when we gather together, at the end of our gatherings, we pray the exact same benediction. One of the lines within that benediction is, may God bless you with anger. Anger, indignation, at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. That we may be a people that begin to break down the systems and the structures around us that prevent people from knowing who this Jesus is, that prevent people from experiencing the wholeness and the healing that is necessary in their lives, and not just from a spiritual standpoint, but a physical standpoint. Jesus wasn't just a spiritual Jesus. He didn't just say, you're forgiven to the paralytic. He said, get up and walk. He didn't just look at the man with leprosy. He didn't just cleanse him from his sins. He said, you're healed. He touched the man. He reached out and touched the man. This is not a kingdom of, this is not a spiritual kingdom alone. This is a kingdom that changes everything, that changes who we are at the very core of our being, but also changes the physical nature and reality of who we are, that has the possibility and opportunity to do the same for those that are around us. This is why, as a community, we step into Tent City 5, into, into Safe Harbor, it's, it's a fairly easy thing for us as a church, right? We, we prepare a meal every Thursday, and we go down to Safe Harbor, and we not only lay out the meal for them, but then we serve them. We have conversations with them. We get to know them because we want to break down the systems and the structures that separate poor from those that are not. We want to say, no, 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 you are worthy. You are valued, you are cared for, you are loved, and you'll never walk alone. There is more that we can do. There is more that is possible for us as a church. There is more change that is at our fingertips as a people. But we must recognize that we are a part of an insurgence 
that we are a part of a people that can step into this world and make change happen because of the power of the Spirit that is at work and alive within us. We are a people of change. We are a colony of heaven in a land of death. We are a colony of hope in a land of death. We are a colony of life in a land of death. We are a colony of peace and of love and of grace and of mercy and of care in a colony of death. We need to own it. We need to own it and step into it anew. Father, we gather here as a people knowing that this is possible because of your son. Knowing that we are a colony of life in a land of death. And we listen to the stories of Jesus. We listen to the life of Jesus. And we root ourselves deep in that, knowing that something new is possible, that we are a part of something greater than ourselves, that even we as a new church here are a part of a larger body of Christians throughout this neighborhood, throughout this city, throughout this country and this world. Father, may we, may we step into this boldly and with faith. It is in your son's name that we pray these things. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 3rd Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.